can't believe it. It's 31 years ago this month. I graduated from high school in 1987. And that gives you perspective of how long I've been alive and around and doing what life uh, has had me to do. But uh, I'd had the privilege of going through high school without having to work. In other words, have a job. I got to play sports, and I got, when I wasn't playing sports, I was surfing and skateboarding when there were no waves. And so this day came when I graduated from high school that my aunt and uncle who raised me from ninth grade on, uh, my aunt sat me down and said, honey, I, I want to have a talk with you. And I, okay. And she said, Here, here's the deal. Um, it's time now that your age that you go and get a job. I'm like, really? Yeah, you know, you're, you know, you're done with sports and um, you're probably not going to get paid to go surfing. So you need to find a job and get a job and start working. I know you're going to be a full-time student, but you need to work part-time. And I had to let that sink in a little bit of reality of growing up and, and like, this is what this means when you graduate from high school. And so probably about a day or two later, my aunt comes back to me and says, hey, I want to talk to you again. I'm like, oh, great. Right? And she goes, about that job. Uh Uh-huh. There's a guy at our church who has a Porsche restoration and part shop. He works and has a shop in Huntington Beach, and he's looking for a young man, probably like you, to come work in his shop. Did I mention it's Porsches? And now you know where my love and appreciation for Porsches came from was from that. In fact, I got to be with him yesterday at a car show where he was showing one of his cars and some other stuff that he had. And, and as I thought about that and, and beginning work, um, I remember going to work at that time, minimum wage was three thirty-five an hour. I started off at three fifty an hour. three fifty an hour, four hours a day, five days a week, which meant that my paycheck was about $70, except for the part that they took out in taxes. So it was about $60. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, even 18-year-olds, guys just out of high school have to pay taxes? What is going on with this? And except for that six-month period, for the past 31 years, or a six-month period in the 30, past 31 years, I have had at least one, usually two pay pay. Uh, days per month. In fact, I added them up. I'm almost up to 750 paydays since I started working. My guess is that almost all of us have at least one payday every month. Many of us have two. If you're working, you have a payday. Thankful for that. If you're not working, maybe you're at the age of retirement and maybe you're drawing on social security. So you have that as your payday. Or maybe you're drawn on an on a IRA of some sort, an annuity of some sort, and that's your payday. Or maybe you have some sort of other income, and that becomes your payday. However many paydays you have per month, however many paydays you've had in your lifetime, however the source of those paydays come, I want to submit to you that the question that comes with each payday is this, are you ready? Are you ready for payday? Now, you hear me ask that question, and you think, am I ready? Am I ready for payday? Cha-ching, I'm always ready for payday. Why would you ask such a silly question? Well, I, I want to I help us work through why I would ask such a question, because the reality is, as you know and I know, that properly managing our money from payday to payday for however many we have, whatever the source of that payday comes from, it can be challenging. It can be difficult at times. It's not an easy task. In fact, the Wall Street Journal, speaking of money, quoted an anonymous wit who defined money as this, quote, 
an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider for everything except happiness. Speaking of money. Again, properly managing your money can be a difficult challenge. I've heard it said that money is a wonderful tool, but a terrible master. Have you found that to be true? A wonderful tool, but a terrible master. You know, when you read Jesus' sermons and parables, uh, one of the things you're going to notice, one of the things you're going to see, you can't help but notice that Jesus has a lot to say about money, about finances, about our possessions. Let me give you some examples. One example is this, 16 out of the 38 parables give instruction on how to handle money and possession. 16 out of 38 parables in the Bible. And if you're here today and maybe you're new or you think that the church, you know, it's been a while since you've been to church and now you come to church and it sounds like they're talking about money, which we are, and you think, man, the church must talk about money all the time. Every time I hear about this, it's always about money. And I would just say, well, here's an example, here's a reason why is that 16 out of 38 parables give instruction on how to handle money and possessions. Here's another example. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 verses in all, deal directly with the subject of money. Maybe we need to get some money invested in our lights. I see they seem to be fluctuating. I'm not sure what's going on, but it's all good. There's another example. So you wonder, well, why do you always seem to talk about money? Well, well, because if you go to the Gospels, one out of 10 verses talks about that. that that's, a, that's an example. That's a reason. Here's another one. The Bible has about 500 verses on prayer, almost 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000, 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So if you wonder at times, why does it seem like the church from time to time talks about money? It's not all the time. Well, these would be some examples that I put up there for you to, to see and go, oh, maybe that's why. It's because the Bible talks about it a lot. 2,000 verses that speak on it. Why is this? Why is this? Well, it's because money can dominate our lives. It can dominate our lives and money can strongly influence our lives for good or for bad. I think Jesus understood this 2,000 years later, here we are, that this would be a challenge, that it could dominate, that we could make decisions sometimes that aren't the best, and other times that they're really good. And so throughout his earthly ministry, it's interesting, when you look at Jesus' ministry to the people he encountered and, and, and ministered to, oftentimes those people were rather poor. And what scholars have looked at this and kind of assumed is this, because I don't think it's anything different today as it was then, is that they thought, you know what, money would be the solution to, well, yeah, I'll say all of our problems. Money will take care of everything. And so I think Jesus understood that. He recognized that. And as I say, not much has changed in 2,000 years. We have a lot of people today who think money will solve everything. But the truth is, the more money you have, the more challenging it can be to manage properly managed properly. Not managed in some way, but actually manage it the way it should be managed. And so here we are, we're continuing our series in knowing the truth about Jesus and the gospel of Luke. And we come to a Bible passage, one of these parables of the six, of the 38, one of these is about money. And that happens to be this one. It's the parable of the shrewd manager, the parable of the shrewd manager. And, and what this passage offers us is something that seems just completely out of whack. 
If you look at it on the surface, you might misunderstand what's being said. I know I'm vulnerable for that, and it requires study to understand, well, Jesus, what are you actually saying here? Again, this is somewhat of a controversial, this is somewhat of a, uh, I don't get this on the surface of what Jesus is saying that we're going to look at here in just a moment. And the reason is this, it appears that Jesus is approving dishonesty. It's as though Jesus is saying it's good to steal. It's good to, to, uh, to, to do with money things that you would not think you should do with money. And from this parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus gives us some great wisdom, some important wisdom on how to be ready for your next payday. I don't know about you, but I had a payday on Friday. I'm thankful for that payday, the automatic payday that just shows up. Isn't that nice? And we're going to have more paydays. Most of us, if not all of us, are going to have them coming. And so this morning, I want to have us do two things. I want to have us look at some mistakes that we're prone to perhaps make with money. And then I want to have us look at some truths uh, that I want us to remember that no matter how often your payday comes, no matter how small or big your payday is, or where that source come from, comes from, that you're ready for it. Biblically, according to what Jesus says, that you're ready for payday. And not only the next payday that's coming, but it's payday that's coming when you go to meet Jesus. If you got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And you're going to find here the parable of the shrewd manager. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13 at first. We're going to circle a little bit on 14 through 17. And then we've got a weird verse in verse 18 that is dropped in here. We'll try and tackle that one as well. But Luke chapter 16. You guys there? Yes. Let's read. Verse 1. Now he was saying, this is Jesus to his disciples... There was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? Uh, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I shall, I'll do this. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and, and, and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Jesus looking back again at his disciples, verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails... They will receive you into the eternal dwellings. 
Guys, he who is faithful in very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Look, no, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve or love God and wealth or God and money. Here's this parable laid out, this story, this conversation, this moment of instruction, a fictional story used to teach a spiritual truth or a spiritual lesson to his disciples, to us today. Now, in we're using the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, it says the word measures, 100 measures. And it says that both for each instance of two individuals, the wheat and the oil. Well, I started looking at this and going, how wealthy is this owner? Let me very, very, be very, very clear. Crazy wealthy, okay? When you have 100 measures of oil and 100 measures of wheat, you are extremely wealthy. You are crazy wealthy. Here's another way to look at this. Some translations put it this way. That 100 measures of oil is actually 800 gallons of olive oil. 800 gallons of olive oil. Uh, the, the, the 100 measure of, of wheat, it's 1,000 bushels of wheat. If you have 800 gallons of olive oil and 1,000 bushels of wheat, you are, what was it again I said? Crazy wealthy, okay? You are crazy wealthy. When you have that much, that says that you have a lot, okay? In that day, how do I know this? Well, in that day, give you some perspective, 800 gallons of olive oil. Some scholars have studied this way better than I could. They've come up with to understand this. That's worth three years of paydays. Three years of paydays. To give you another perspective, the 1,000 bushels of wheat, that's nine years of paydays. In other words, that's a lot of paydays if you're adding up paydays and how much they are and where they come from. There's a lot of paydays here in this value that this owner has and that this manager has been managing. I mean, mismanaging, apparently. So he's got this manager who is well-paid. He is well-paid, kind of like a CFO of a company or perhaps even a CEO. They're extremely well-paid. And I don't know if it's the board of directors who's gotten word and they come and have a meeting and they said, hey, owner, you need to know this. You're the shareholder of shareholders. You need to know what's happening here. And as the word comes back, he says, we got to terminate this person from their job. It's over. It's done. And so this manager's done a horrible job in managing his owner's estate and his consequences are obvious. He's going to lose his job. But what's interesting is what happens when he learns of this. When the manager gets the word and is called into the office and is there at the board meeting table, this is what inspires. This is what, this is what happens. Look, look back at verse 5 and 6. So he's knowing he's going to lose his job. He's going to be removed. What does he do? And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. I'd say that's a little bit of mismanagement in my book. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill, write 80. 
How many of you are in debt? Oh, don't, don't raise your hand. But imagine whatever debt you do have. Imagine being called in and saying, hey, what, what do you owe? What's your debt? And, and, and you tell them and they say, make it 50%. You get 50% off of your debt today. Wouldn't you be like, I like this manager. Why is he losing his job? I think he should keep it. Or 20% of your debt. Whatever it is, imagine that being what you're told. You get to have a discount in what you owe on, uh, on what you've taken out in this olive oil or in this wheat. To me, it's just unbelievable. But what's more unbelievable is what happens next. Look at how the owner responds to just what we've looked at. Verse 8. And his master, this is the one who owns it all, does what? What's your word say? What's the Bible saying? Praised. Are you serious? He praised the unrighteous manager? Why? It's because he's acted shrewdly. It's how he went and responded to this circumstance, to this situation. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, from what I can tell, what I understand, and I think Pastor Mike will back me up on this, so will Matt, is that Jesus is saying you should steal, lie, and cheat, and be dishonest with money. Is that, is that, are you buying that? I mean, that's what it seems, right? I see some people kind of going, I'm not sure he, they would agree with that. All right, so then what's going on here? Do you understand how this could be misunderstood, misinterpreted? This would be a challenge. This is why this is one of those parables where you're like, oh man, what's going on here? No, in this parable, Jesus does not praise the manager's dishonesty, him cutting deals for people, and being mismanaging the money, but he praises his shrewdness. That, he says, hey, you know what? You're not going to keep your job, but I applaud you for how you handled it. Nice thinking. Way to go. (laughs) Way to respond. (laughs) That's pretty shrewd. Oh, yeah, that means to be sharp in judgment. It means to be strategic. It means to be smart and resourceful. So when Jesus says, or this parable is taught, that, hey, he's praising him for this, he's saying, I like how you think. You're smart. You're resourceful. You're strategic. You're not keeping your job. But I do give you that credit, at least. You see, when you're shrewd, you see a problem clearly. You know what needs to be done, and you act accordingly. What does this parable remind us of? Well, many things, but it reminds us that we can learn from people that we disagree with. We can learn from people that have done wrong. We can learn from people whose lifestyle we disapprove of. Let me, let me put it this way or ask this question. This is where you get to raise one of these hands that are attached to your body. How many of you have learned from someone else's mistake? You guys got a lot of learning to do then. You should learn from people's mistakes. No, right? We've all learned from people's mistakes. We've all learned. How many of us have learned from our own mistakes? Hopefully those are really going up, right? We're learning from our own mistakes so we don't make them again, Right? Maybe you've grown up and you've seen how you were raised and you thought, family being like that? Not happening in my family now. Maybe you saw how finances were handled and you thought, that's not how I'm going to do it. Maybe how relationships, how people were treated in your family or how you saw friends treated or how they treated you and you're like, I'm not going to be that way. See, we can learn from, from these and that's what's unfolding here. 
This is what Jesus is doing in this parable in verse 8. This manager was worldly. He was immoral. He did wrong. He's losing his job. But wow, he was strategic. He was smart and he was resourceful in his final days and how he prepared for what was coming. I think the point of this parable is this. Jesus wants us as sons, as people of light, it speaks of that in this passage here, to be ready for what's coming. Not only your payday that's coming in a couple weeks or the one that just came a couple days ago, but another payday that's coming. Look at verse 9. And he's, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of wealth of unrighteousness. In other words, use worldly wealth. Use money to do that. So that when it fails, we'll come back to that a little bit, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. What's the eternal dwellings? That's heaven. So he's saying not only about a payday now, but a payday to come. This parable gives us an opportunity to learn about some mistakes that we might make with our paydays and be reminded of some truths that we should keep in mind, that we should embrace when our paydays come, not only now, but for the paydays to come. In other words, the title of my message is, it's payday, are you ready? That you can say, yes, I'm ready for the next one here on earth and I'm gonna be ready for the one that's yet to come. So what are these what payday, when payday comes, what mistakes should I avoid? These are going to be really basic, and you could write these out and show that you could teach this passage too, even though it's more of a challenging passage. Here's the first uh, mistake we should avoid. Don't waste money. You ever had someone tell you that? You ever told somebody that? Yeah. Don't waste money. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now, he was also saying to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager And this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Another translation has it wasting his possessions, wasting his resources, wasting his money. That calls him into the meeting and he loses his job over it. It's interesting, I came across an article, CNBC, uh, top 10 ways Americans waste their money. I thought, really? People do that? Oh, Oh, they do. In fact, I thought this was most interesting. There's a whole list of all the stuff that people waste their money on. We don't have time for that. But this is the one I thought was, was like, okay, I, I can relate to this one. Only 17.4% of people consider themselves to be non-wasteful. So in other words, 80-some percent of people go, I'm wasteful with my money at times. Have you been there? You know what that's like? If you have kids, you're going, I know what that's like. (laughs) How they are prone to waste money. In an area where money is wasted, here's a moment where we're going to pause kind of in, and you're kind of like, Jesus, why did you throw this in here? Well, it's in scripture, and we go verse by verse, typically as we teach here at Grace Hill. So here we go. Verse 18, I think this ties in about not wasting money. Verse 18, Luke 16, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Oh, wow. Okay. We're talking about this. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. If you look in this whole passage and all the verses and the verses that are to come, you're going, this is like, kind of like the, oh, and by the way, as I'm leaving with the, the Pharisees, we're going to come look at that in a second. Uh, 
don't be in, you know, if you're, if you're going to be divorced uh, in, this setting, in this setting, you're marrying another man's uh, wife, all that happens, uh, that's considered adultery. Look, in Scripture, the Bible teaches about where there's a place for a divorce, biblical divorce. And then it teaches in areas where it's not biblical. I don't have time. I'm not going to go into that, that camp today. But I would say, submit to you this. I've seen it in my own family. Divorce will cost you. Not only in all the relationships and the trust and all those things that come with it. But it's also, I think, true that divorce is going to cost financially. At the end of the day, if a, per, if a man and a woman love Jesus and love and follow what Scripture teaches, they won't conceivably divorce one another. And I'm just simply saying that'll save them money. When you go into divorce, at some point in time, there's going to be a waste of money that didn't have to be spent. Does that make sense? So I just think this is something here, like, where do we put this verse into it? I've just seen where in, in my journey of ministry and in my family, we're going, man, that was a waste. Look at, and it continues to cost you over and over and over again. So why is this here? Ask Jesus when you get to heaven. I don't know. We're moving on to the second mistake that people make. Don't trust money. Don't trust money. Verse three, the first part of it says, the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? Up until this point, he had a, quote, secure job, secure income. Remember how we all felt back in 2008 before the recession hit? We all felt pretty secure, at least I did. Don't trust money. And look at verse nine. I told you we'd come back to this. And he said to him, make friends with yourselves by means of wealth and righteousness so that when it what? When it fails. In other words, don't trust it. It doesn't really matter how big your payday is because you can lose it. Thus, don't trust money. I remember when the uh, space shuttle uh, Challenger blew up. I was in high school. My uncle was an aerospace engineer working in commercial satellites. I remember the conversation that night about the tragedy and discussion and praying and all that. And then it was kind of this look between my aunt and uncle. I understood what that look was because a month later, my uncle got laid off. You can't trust, you can't trust money. There is no lasting security in it. Only the lasting security we can have, true security is found in a relationship with Christ. So don't waste it, don't trust. Another mistake to avoid, don't love money. Don't love money. Verse uh, 13. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve or in this case love God and love money. It doesn't work. It doesn't flow that way. This is going to sound a little bit crazy, but when I was in college, I crashed a funeral party. It's true, I did. Um, guy up the street from us, and we were driving by a good friend of mine and I, and we're like, hey, what's going on? Oh, it's so-and-so died. Why don't you come in and crash the party? Okay. <laughs> so I remember we went in there, and this guy's house I'd never been in and walked in. I remember going to his office, and I'll never forget seeing his office behind his desk. He had a nice desk, nice office, whole thing. About this big, about this wide was a dollar sign. I've never forgotten that. 
and his boat and some of his other possessions. I have no idea. I, I saw the guy waved him a few times skateboarding by his house. I, I don't know, but it seemed to me, I didn't see anything that said Jesus was part of his life. It, it seems as though he had a love for money. He had a dollar sign behind his desk. For a lot of people in our world, this is a huge challenge, like it was for that man. It can be a challenge even for us as believers. Jesus says it's impossible to live with a divided allegiance. You can't have two number ones. You can't have God number one and money number one. It's just impossible. And this was a serious problem for the Pharisees. Here's where this part comes in. Look at verse 14. Now, the Pharisees, they happen to be listening. I don't know if they're in the grandstands and they're checking in or or what. But now the Pharisees who were what? Lovers of money. Oh, okay, so this is where this fits. We're listening to all these things and we're scoffing at him. The Greek here is sneering and it means the whole you're like, oh, oh, Jesus. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, key word, for that which is highly esteemed among men, the love of money, having money, having wealth, is detestable in the sight of God if that's where your heart is. And then he says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. It's what's going on right now. And everyone is forcing his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. In other words, this is truth, what's being brought here. This is reality. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. What should I remember with money? Don't love it. Love God. Don't waste it. Don't trust it. Don't love it. Okay, I got what not to do. What should I do? Every day when payday comes, when those paydays comes, every time, what should I remember? Four truths I want to share with you. One is this. Remember that all my money belongs to God. All my money belongs to God. I remember watching uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, which is a Jerry Seinfeld thing that he did. Cars sounds familiar for me. Yes, okay, it's there. And I remember he's in the car with somebody, and he was sharing, and they were talking about wealth. And he says, yeah, my daughter asked me, Dad, are we wealthy? Are we rich? And Jerry said, I looked at her and said, no, but I am. And I thought, oh, that's some perspective. You might be wealthy by the world standards. By the way, if you're an American here in America, for the most part, you are wealthy by the world standards, right? Just no question, no arguing that. Uh, (laughs) We just can't. But whatever you've got in the paycheck, the pay stub, that's ultimately God's. That's the point here. Everything you have, all your money, all your gifts, all your talents, What that means then is that you are a manager. God's the owner like it is here in the parable. There's an owner, there's a manager. You're a manager. You're the CFO. You're the CEO of your finances, of your resources, of what God has given you. The key question here is how well are you taking taking care of God's property? What do the possessions look like? Are you taking care of those as though those are God's? How about your time? How about your body? And of course, your money. In this parable, the manager was wasting his master's possessions and money. And since all that money ultimately belongs to God, then what does that mean? That means he was wasting God's money. He's wasting his resources because it belongs to God. 
And so that truth is, is that we're Emmanuel. As I said, I like what God has to say to his chosen people, Israel, in Deuteronomy 8.18. This even brings it in a little deeper to understand why our money, all the money belongs to God. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's him. If you have any capacity to earn a job, working in a part shop in Huntington Beach, sweeping floors and doing toilets and packing parts, that's an ability from God. If you've got something else to do than that, my next job was a janitor. Okay? It paid a little better and the hours were flexible. It's all God's. Everything I do, even the ability to sweep a floor, if you will, the most seemingly mundane thing that Rich Meyerski does here all the time that none of us see. He's given God, God's given him the ability to do that. So when you come into your workday tomorrow, or you get that pay stuff, remember, oh, this actually belongs to God. What else should I remember? Remember that my money is a tool. My money is to be used as a, as a means, as a tool. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. It's not saying that money is necessarily right or necessarily wrong, necessarily bad or, or, or good. It, it's, in essence, it's neutral because it's a tool. Because it can be used to finance a drug cartel. It can be used for a life-saving surgery. And it can be used to advance the kingdom of God. It's a tool. Notice Jesus says in verse 8, 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth. In other words, worldly possessions. This is a key factor in properly understanding this parable. Jesus is commending this guy, not for his dishonesty, but for the way he used money. It was a tool, and he recognized that and seized it. What did he do right? Just real quick here, what did the shrewd manager do right? He made three wise decisions. Number one, he looked ahead. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? Verse 3, he looked ahead. It says in Proverbs 14, 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. He praises this guy because he looked ahead. What else did he do? He made a plan. He made a plan. He says in verse 4, I know what I shall do. I know what I'm going to do. Let me ask you, do you have a, a plan, financial plan for your life? Uh, or let me raise, put it another way. Do you have a budget <laughs> for your finances that you follow? It's biblical. It's wise. We can even learn that from a guy who is dishonest. At least he was wise about his budgeting. Lastly, what else can, did he do right? He acted quickly. As I like to say, he didn't dilly-dally. He acted quickly. The shoe manager didn't procrastinate. He got a plan quickly in place. If you look here back at verses four and five, he calls those men in together and he tells them, sit down quickly. There's a, like, I gotta get this done. There's no time to waste here. Like, money isn't to be wasted. And this is what he's committing him for. He's making a plan, he's acting on it. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, look not only about today, it's payday, but how that's gonna play out in the future, Right? How we, how we pre- prepare for that. Jesus wants us to think about eternity. He wants you to think about storing up treasures in heaven, which brings us to our third reminder this morning. Remember that the best use of my money is to gather people into heaven. The best investment, the best use of your money is to gather people into heaven. Look at verse nine. This verse 
uh, for some, uh, you know, is here and we kind of like, what is this? What is going on here? And I say to you, to his disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of wealth, of the unrighteous. In other words, use worldly wealth. Use it as a tool. We talked about that. So that when it fails, because we're not going to trust it, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. In other words, he's saying, if you want to know how to best use money, use it in a way to gather more people into heaven. Jesus says that like the dishonest guy made friends so that he could count on them later, he's saying, use some of your money to make spiritual friends, to gather people into the kingdom, friends you'll have in heaven who will welcome you there when you arrive there. He's not saying you can buy your way into heaven. Otherwise, the cross would be meaningless if that was the case. But what he is saying is use your money to build relationships that are going to go on and on and on. If you will, spiritual friends. In other words, as it says here in verse 9, you will receive, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. In other words, another translation has it, they will welcome you into heaven. Imagine that you get to heaven and after you see Jesus, and I don't know how long that will take (laughs) before your eyes go off him. But imagine being tapped on the shoulder and someone saying to you, hi, um, you don't know me, but can I tell you a story? Back on earth, you made a commitment to give, to advance the gospel. Well, that gospel was funded by a missionary that came to my village, came to my area, and shared the gospel with me. That's how I'm here is because you made the investment. You took and said, the best use of my money is to gather people into heaven. Man, I'm your friend for life. Oh, wait, we're, we're here. I'm your friend for eternity because of the investment you made in advancing the kingdom. Are you using your money to gather people into heaven? Will anybody be there because of your investment? You see, you can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. Number four, last one. Remember that if I'm faithful with the money I have, It shows God I can be trusted with more. Remember that if I'm faithful with the money that God has given me, it's his. If I'm faithful, that it shows him that I can be trusted with with more. Look at verse 10. He said, who is faithful? He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. There's this principle here. The question you might ask yourself today, are you using your money in such a way that God would say, I want to give you more? I want to bless you with more? How about your influence? How about your resources? If I'm faithful with what I have, it shows God I can be trusted with more. Now, I put another verse up on the screen for you. Last one for this message, Matthew 25, 29. For everyone who has will be given more and he who will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. I wrote this statement very carefully. In fact, I covered it with my wife. I do that a lot because she's smarter than me and her grades would prove that. Uh, But she said, you know, hon, a lot of times people think, hey, if I give, then God's gonna bless me with more. It kind of sounds like the prosperity gospel message that goes out. Because I've seen people who manage their money extremely well, were faithful. Uh, They didn't waste it. They didn't trust it. They didn't love it. They recognized that God was the owner of it all. It was a tool, but they're still struggling financially. 
I think the important point here is it doesn't guarantee that God is going to give you more. As you might hear on TV from time to time. But what I would submit to you, it does say this. It says, it shows God, hey, this is what you give me. This is what I'm doing with it. It at least shows him, I think this person could be trusted with more. Whether he does that or not, that's up to him and his sovereign will and knowing what I can handle. But it shows him that I could be trusted with more. Let me, let me wrap it up this way. I, the way I had to wrap this up, I couldn't help but want to have a payday, Right? I enjoy paydays. In fact, when I get one, you know what I found is I do not waste it. I do not trust it, per se, too much. I only trust it enough to give me a little bit of an energy boost, perhaps. I try not to love these. I don't know, maybe your doctor would say, yeah, don't love those too much. The sodium content, way up there. I don't know about your paydays, but can you look at it and go, oh, wait, you know what? This is actually God's gift to me. It actually belongs to him. I bought these with my own money a couple days ago. He gave me the ability to have an income, the job I have here, to be able to purchase this. It's a tool. It's to provide energy. And you know what else I'm reminded of with a payday? I'm supposed to use them to gather more people into heaven. In other words, who would like a payday? right? We're to use these to get more people into heaven. And you know what it tells me in scripture? If I have one and I'm faithful with it, God says, I can trust you with even more. And perhaps, maybe, just maybe, it'll get even more. And you're going, hey, I like how God works. It's yours, Hank. I saw both hands go up praising Jesus for the payday. God, we need your help when it comes to our finances. God, we need your guidance here with this. This is not something that's easy for us. And Lord, we recognize that we have paydays and they come from you. And uh, Lord, we just want to take today in this passage um, and just try and grasp that, God, you have some principles, you have some guidance for us that we need to just be paying attention to what not to waste, how to handle it, what mistakes to avoid, and some reminders for it. God, I, I, I'm just a servant here. I just pray that your spirit and your word would speak to each of us wherever we are today. In the area of our finances, just as a reminder, because God, we're blessed to have paydays. May we be ready for them. Not only here, but for the payday that's coming. In Jesus' name, amen.